All right, we're in Genesis 23. So locate the book of Genesis, turn to chapter 23. Last time we were together, we looked at that magnificent prophetic picture of Abraham and Isaac up on Mount Moriah. And there together they acted out the gospel. And it's a beautiful picture. 2,000 years before Jesus would die on that same mountain range in Mount Moriah, Abraham would be asked to give the son of promise. Uh, Of course, the angel of the Lord stops him and he doesn't have to sacrifice him. But we mentioned uh, last time we were together that another father, 2,000 years later, the knife did come down on his son. And he's the ultimate son of promise. Uh, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of laughter and joy. Isaac or Isaac's name in Hebrew means laughter. But Jesus had the oil of gladness above his companions. Of course, he did what he did for the joy set before him, the will of the Father, and of course, that you would be and I would be in heaven. That's a tremendous love that he has for us. As we've been watching Abraham and we've been watching Sarah, we've been watching them on a faith journey, and we're to follow in the footsteps of Abraham. And we're not only to follow in his footsteps, we're to follow in the footsteps of Sarah. Sarah is held up as a woman of honor, a woman of faith in the Bible. It's good to have footsteps to follow. It's good to see people in the Bible that were real, not perfect, had their blunders, made their mistakes, but kept learning and kept growing and kept moving forward. But uh, as life is, uh, there is a time when life changes. There's a time when life ends. And this particular uh, section is about the death of Sarah. And I think it's a very compelling section. It's a it's a reminder that life is short, and uh, I, was, I happened to be driving in a little while ago t- t- into Living Truth and happened to hear this preacher on the radio, uh, Pastor Michael Lance, uh, he <laughs> says some decent things every now and then. But in fact, as I tuned on to our radio broadcast that airs at 6.30 p.m., I heard these words, and it was in regard to Stephen from Acts chapter 7. It's not how many years you live, it's what you do with the years that you've been given. Amen? Amen. So we're going to focus on that tonight. Let's pray. Father, as we look at um, the death of Sarah and how that affects Abraham and how, you know, the the faith journey, um, it can take us right through death as well. We're not just living for this time, we're living for a, a better country. Uh, not just living for this country. Abraham was not just living for the physical footprint of Israel. He was looking to another city whose foundations and architect is God. Thank you that you've gone to prepare a place for us and that faith can even see us through times of death. We all deal with death. We've lost loved ones. There are some here who have lost spouses. There are some here who have lost multiple people recently. It's a real uh, sobering reality, Father, that we only have so much time, and we often take time for granted. We often think that those people that are in our lives are going to be there forever, but that's not necessarily the case. In fact, it's not the case. And so I pray that with the time that we've been given, we will, you will teach us to number our days, Lord, that we might present to you a heart of wisdom, that we might pe- be people who live wisely, that we don't take things for granted and waste our lives. So help us as we uh, tackle this particular chapter. Lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit. Open our ears, open our hearts, open our eyes. 
Uh, Father, to what you would say to us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Genesis uh, 23, verse 1. Now Sarah, Genesis 23, verse 1, lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So there you have a, an ending point in the life of Sarah. Her name, Sarai, then Sarah, really is a princess. This is the end of a reign of royalty, if you will. She didn't live in a castle. She lived in a tent. But she was a royal woman in many, many ways, a woman of dignity, a woman of honor. And her name literally means princess. And so this is the end of her life. In fact, uh, the number 127 in the record of Sarah's life, she's the only woman I know of in the scripture who actually were told how many years she lived, 127 years. I think every other occurrence is the end of a male's life, not a female. It, it tells you the significance of Sarah's life. We might ask the question, why is she the only woman that we have an ending point of her age? Well, I have concluded that it's because women won't tell us how old they are. So... Wouldn't you agree? Isn't that a pretty good interpretive angle? Yes? Anyway. <laughs> so uh, just, you know, something that you learn as, along life's journey is don't ask a woman how old she is. Uh, if she offers the information, that's one thing, but don't try to, and don't guess, because you'll always be wrong. So don't even try to guess. But Sarah lived a long life, 127 years, and uh, Proverbs 18.22 says, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure. This is the New Living Translation. And he receives favor from the Lord. Many of you know that verse is that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And when you find a good woman, hang on, gentlemen, because it's a gift. She's a gift from God. In fact, the word has the idea of a treasure from the Lord. And uh, when Sarah and Abraham left um, Ur, or uh, I think in this case it's a little bit later in Haran, she's 65 at the time, and she dies at 127. So if you do some quick math, she's 65 when they leave Haran. That means if she dies at 127, they've been married over 60 years, but they probably got married a lot earlier. And scholars would conclude that Abraham and Sarah were probably married at a younger age, which means they probably celebrated 100 years of marriage. <laughs> so we're here on the radio today, and Pastor Chris asked me the question, I know about a silver anniversary. I know about a gold anniversary. What's the silver's 25, gold's 50, right? I don't know if they have one for 75. I don't know what you give people for 100. Um, I think you shake their hand and ask them to write a book. Would you not agree? I think I would sit with that person and glean as much wisdom as possible from what they've learned over 100 plus years of marriage. So here's Sarah, and she finally dies. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. I'm gonna get personal for a second and tell you that at some point, in some way, there's gonna be a record with your name with very similar language. These were the years of the life of Michael Lance. These were the years of the life. You can put your name there. You may not think it's going to happen, but I have news for you. We do age. I have a good friend. He's visiting from Idaho. He went into my office. He saw a picture of my wife and I. We're at the farm in Norco, and I think it was the late 90s. And he goes, boy, Michael, you have aged. Good friends really know how to edify you. 
He goes, your wife looks the same, but you? And he just kind of shook his head at me. And I said, thank you, brother. I, I appreciate the truth. I'm not sure if it set me free there, but anyway, I do appreciate a man of truth. These are the years of the life of Sarah. You are going to have a certain amount of years. And what you do with them is what really matters. There's a dash between two dates, when you are born and when you're going to die. And I ask you, what are you doing with it? What do you want to do with it? Because there's going to be an ending point. Psalm 90 teaches us something about this. This is a psalm from Moses. If you turn there, Psalm 90. Um, as you know, David wrote many of the psalms, but not all of them. This particular psalm is from Moses, and Moses is the author of Genesis. And so Psalm 90, let's pick it up in verse 1. The whole psalm is incredible, so let's just see what Moses says about life and death. Psalm 90, he says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place, verse 1, in all generations. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or thou did give birth to the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou dost turn man back into the dust, Psalm 90, verse 3. Thou dost say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in thy sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. Thou hast swept them away in a flood, they fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. Psalm 90, verse 7. For we have been consumed by thine anger. By thy wrath we have been dismayed. Think of Moses in the wilderness with the people. Thou hast placed our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy presence. For all our days have declined in thy fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, and for soon it is gone, and we fly away. Who understands the power of thine anger, verse 11, and thy fury according to the fear that is due thee? And then Moses says in light of this, so teach us to number our days, that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? Be sorry for thy servants. Feel sorry for us, O Lord. O satisfy us in the morning with thy loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad according to the days thou hast afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let thy work appear to thy servants, thy majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and do confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Genesis uh, 23, if you turn back there. Lots of uh, lessons from Moses about life and death. He certainly learned a lot in the wilderness. And when you look at the subject of death, we all need to know this. We need to be reminded of this. I think we know it. The wages of sin is death. In fact, death, and this is a little hard, but it's true, is a penalty from God. The soul that sins shall what? Surely die. The reason we die is because of sin. And when I stand before people at memorial services and the like, and I talk about death, I do try to explain why we die, because it's a bit of a mystery. Something happens to us in our 20s, and our, something happens in our cells, and we begin this dying process. Some people say we start dying the moment we're born, but something does shift along life's path, and it happens to us 
medically, scientifically, and nobody can stop it. Nobody can, you can try to slow it down. You can do the best you can, and we should try to live well. But you know what I'm saying. The clock ticks. Time does not slow down for any man or any woman. And people who think they're going to beat it, well, death is quite impressive, as you all know. And the statistics on death are impressive. So what do we do? Well, we live, we live for the promises. And Sarah is held up here now as one of those women that we should pay attention to. Pay attention to. She had her hang-ups. Hagar was a major hang-up for Sarah. You all know that. She suggested that Abram uh, go into Hagar and try to produce offspring, and that did not work real well. And then Ishmael came along, and there was tension, and there were problems. And finally, she wanted them out of the house, and Abraham acquiesced, and they went out. She had her problems. Um, She laughed when God made the promise about Isaac, and then God said, why did you laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. When you try to tell God that you didn't do something, it's not a good thing. And God said, yes, you did laugh. So she laughed at the promise of God, and then she lied about it. We've all been in that position before. We've made our mistakes. But Sarah walked by Abraham's side for maybe 100 plus years. And it wasn't always easy for her. For example, he heard the Lord say, leave everything you know, leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to a land that I will show you. Can you imagine sharing that news over some cereal to your wife? Honey, we're packing up and moving. Where are we going, sweetheart? I don't know. We're just supposed to go. She went with him. She too walked by faith and not by sight. And two times we know as we've read the record of Sarah's life, Abraham asked her to lie. And two times she's put in the harem of a foreign king to protect him. And she acquiesced to that. She did what he told her to do and God protected her. But that was, that was a problem. Sometimes, you know, us, you know, the, the ladies who have men in their lives who like to take leaps of faith and like to step out in faith, it can unnerve a lot of the ladies. I'm married to a very orderly woman. She likes predictability and she likes order. I am a shoot from the hip type of guy. I'm very spontaneous. Let's just go. And she gives me the list of 25 things that I didn't think about. And together, praise God, we are stronger because we help each other. We help fine tune each other and challenge each other. Sarah is held up as this woman of honor. And here in Isaiah 51, uh, we get a little bit more information about her. Let's, we're going to look just at a few scriptures about Sarah. Let's go to Isaiah 51, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 51, 1 through 3 says, listen to me. Isaiah 51, 1. Try to give you a moment to get there. Isaiah 51, 1 says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug, Isaiah 51, 2. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave birth to you in pain. This is addressing the nation of Israel coming from Abraham and Sarah. When he was uh, one, I called him, God is saying. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and her wilderness. He will make like Eden. And her desert, like the garden of the Lord, joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and sound of a melody. Israel is being encouraged, if you'd all turn now to 1 Peter chapter 3, 
to go back to the foundations. If you're ever lost and want, wondering what to do, go back to the foundation. Go back to the things that you learned from the beginning. Go back. There's no other foundation that can, that can be laid except that which is laid, which is what? Jesus Christ. If you're ever wondering what to do, what do I do in this situation? What's my default mechanism? Always go back to what you know in Christ. Always go back to him. Always go back to the foundation on which you've built your life. 1 Peter 3, verse 4, gives an encouragement to ladies about Sarah. 1 Peter 3, 4 says, Let it be the hidden person of the heart, 1 Peter 3, 4, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, former in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Most guys have this marked in their Bibles. Thus Sarah <laughs> obeyed Abraham, verse 6, calling him Lord. Uh, I've suggested that a few times at home. You may now address me as Lord. <laughs> that doesn't go over real well. Uh, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Let me just, on a serious note, break this down, ladies. Uh, Sarah is called a holy woman, verse 5. She hoped in God. She was submissive to the leadership of her husband. She even obeyed Abraham. And we can see on several occasions, this, uh, this put her in a situation or a predicament that was all, not, not always predictable. In fact, it might have been scary for her to follow him from Ur of the Chaldees, to follow his lead on some things, but she did do that. And she wasn't frightened. She did not live her life in fear. Do you? It's amazing how many things could have scared Sarah. How many steps of faith God actually asked her to walk. In fact, in the last chapter, when we look at um, what happened on the Mount, of, um, on Mount Moriah, she learned along with Abraham that the Lord will provide. But it wasn't always easy. And the faith journey is not always easy. Abraham had many challenges and troubles, including times of barrenness, famine, war, mistakes, missteps. He asked her to lie. She acquiesced. He interceded for Sodom, but then Sodom was destroyed. There was tension with Hagar, the years with Ishmael, the loss of Ishmael as he left. Yet through it all, she was faithful. These two were truly soulmates. What makes a soulmate? I think the thing that links souls together the most is a common faith in Christ. Amen? And when you don't have that with your spouse, I know it's hard. But when you are moving together, when you're walking together with someone through life and they have that same um, faith, it's a beautiful faith journey together. The longevity of their marriage shows you that a married couple can make it through many trials and tribulations. Go back to Genesis chapter 23. Uh, marriage is not easy. Marriage is the school of discipleship. In fact, in premarital counseling, Pastor Chris can tell you this, we often try to talk people out of getting married <laughs> to see if it works because we want them to know. We want them to go into marriage with their eyes wide open. You've heard the old saying, go into marriage with your eyes wide open. After you get married, keep them half shut. That's a good philosophy. And these two walked together, but now she's gone. Over 100 years of marriage. Can you imagine that? We, we, we have walked people through times of grief and sorrow and so many different 
context in ministry, but now she's gone. Sarah died. This is uh, Numbers 23, excuse me, Genesis 23, 2. Trying to make this not crackle on us. Genesis 23, 2 says, Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. That's Israel. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Two Hebrew words here. The word mourn is kafad. It means to tear the hair and beat the breasts. It's a strong word. It's a word of lament. It's a word that means to wail. In the ancient times, people would beat their chest and they would even put ashes on their head and they would cry out. And I don't know what's going on with my microphone. I'm sorry. Um, and Abraham did just this. The, the word for weep here is bakah, and it means to cry or to shed tears, and generally it means to bemoan. Um, I've heard some pastors who have made this claim, and I think it's stupid, just to be blunt. They will address an audience at a, a service where someone has just passed away, and they will tell people that as a Christian, you shouldn't cry. You shouldn't cry for the dead. You shouldn't shed tears because after all, that person's in heaven. So why should you cry? And I found myself in certain, I found myself in certain contexts sitting and listening to somebody else and trying to hold myself in my chair and not get up in the middle and say something that might be a bit uh, disrespectful to what was going on. But mourning for one who has died is not only permitted, it is expected. Let me say that one more time. Mourning for someone who has died that you love is not only permitted, it is expected. For crying out loud, pun intended, Jesus cried at the tomb of Lazarus. I mean, take a look at your Bible, amen? He even knew he was gonna raise Lazarus and he's weeping over the death of a friend. In Acts 8, I think it's around verse 2, when Stephen dies, they go and get the body and they made loud lamentation over Stephen. That's New Testament. That's the death of Stephen. Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And yet they wept for him. In Ecclesiastes 7.2, it says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting because that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. Ecclesiastes 7.2 means you learn more at funerals than you do at parties. Now, memorial services are not the place that we you know, really want to be. But the point in Ecclesiastes 7.2, this is what it's making, is a memorial service, unlike a party, will cause you to look inside. It will cause you to do a little self-examination. It will cause you to look at your heart and soul and where your life is. And that's the point of the text. Numbers 20:29, 20, Deuteronomy 34:8 for your notes, both say that when Aaron died and Moses died, the Israelites grieved over each of them for 30 days. 30 days of mourning was the typical mode of mourning in Israel. 30 days. So sometimes, you know, we run into a person and it's a week after they've lost a loved one. And we imply, and sometimes we don't know what to say, so we we all, we're all learning. It's almost like we imply, hey, you know, you got to move on. No, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. You can't predict how long someone's supposed to grieve. You can't just say, okay, that's it, I'm moving on. 
Now, I will say this to you, though. Life does go on. And this section is going to be about Abraham burying Sarah. And it may surprise you. I think many of you know this. He does remarry. He remarries a woman named Keturah in Genesis 25 and has additional children. Now, can you imagine that? He was married to Sarah for over 100 years, and yet he did remarry after she died. And sometimes people wrestle with that concept. A spouse has died, should I remarry? Sometimes there's a guilt that happens. Sometimes people throw that guilt at other people. And, and often it's even the idea of remarriage or it's the timing. So someone remarries quickly and maybe the family's troubled by that. But I'll just say to you that the Bible is really silent on this. It doesn't make a condemnation for someone who remarries. In fact, Abraham remarries here. But in Romans 7, here's the principle, and you could pick this principle up from 1 Corinthians 7. If you're going to remarry, remarry only in the Lord. Only in the Lord. So Abraham does remarry. And this is the classic verse. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. The Bible acknowledges that you will grieve, but don't grieve like those who have no hope. We have ultimate hope in Christ, amen? So when we go through the times when we have to say goodbye to somebody and, and it's hard, we are, our faith goes beyond just this life, you guys. We're looking to something uh, that's going to be permanent. We're looking to something that uh, God is going to build where sin and death are no more, where tears are wiped away. And Abraham is kind of that first man that has received that promise by faith. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22 and 23, it says, In Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his order, Christ the first fruit. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. And 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. But Abraham, he wept and he mourned for her. And it was natural. And God has given you tear ducts for a reason. The Bible says in one of the Psalms, he holds your tears in his bottle. He knows when you cry. David says, my tears have been, you know, basically my pillow as I cry over life. Life can be hard. And sometimes we just need to get it out. And that's the way we get it out is through tears. I want to show you a couple passages in the book of Hebrews. If you turn over there, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2 says these words. It's talking about the answer to this dilemma of death. Hebrews 2. <clears throat> Look at verse 9. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we do see him, Hebrews 2.9, that him is Jesus, who's been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus because of the suffering of death. Hebrews 2.9, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for, what's your Bible say? 
He tasted it for everyone. Skip down to verse 14. Hebrews 2, 14. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. They're human. He, Jesus himself, likewise also partook of the same. He became human. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of who? The descendant of Abraham. That's all of us who are in Christ. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren, Jesus did in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Would everybody turn to Hebrews 11? And I want to just say to you here that I believe that the main temptation that Jesus faced that's addressed in Hebrews 2 is the temptation to give up. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup, what? Pass from me. He went through a temptation, a test. He said to the disciples in the garden, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray and watch that you enter not into temptation. And three times he fell on his face and said, Father, if you are willing, let this cup, what? Pass from me. He recoiled from the cross, but he tasted death for you and for me. And in Hebrews 11, this is why we can celebrate now as we look at this faith walk. It says, by faith, this is addressing Abraham and Hebrews 11:9. 9, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Hebrews 11:10. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She, too, walked by faith. Skip down to verse 13. All these, including Sarah and the other patriarchs, died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, verse 16, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to, call, to be called their God, and he has prepared a city for them. God has prepared a place for you. And the good news is that your faith journey in many ways just begins when you pass from this life. If you're living for that which will really last. Abraham was. And so when he buried Sarah, go back to Genesis 23, he buried her with an eye on eternity. He knew in his soul he would see her again. And every one of us who have lost loved ones and buried them, buried other Christians uh, in the faith, there's going to be a great reunion day coming, brethren. Do you believe it? There was a lady who, a uh, pastor went and visited her, and she, uh, she had planned her whole service. She knew she was dying, and, 
And uh, she went over the music and all the stuff with the pastor. And she, he was getting ready to leave. And she just said, oh, one more thing, pastor. I want to be buried with a fork. And he was like, what? She goes, oh, yes, I love the church potlucks, pastor. And what I love the most is the desserts at the end when we get to partake with the desserts. And he goes, well, what's the meaning of the fork? And she goes, the fork means the best is yet to come. How many of you love dessert? I believe there's going to be dessert in heaven. I am clinging to that hope. I believe it will not add one ounce of fat to my body. Can I get a witness? Yeah. <laughs> then Abraham, Genesis 23, 3, rose before or beside his dead wife. And he spoke to the sons of Heth or the Hittites in the NIV saying, I'm a stranger and a sojourner among you. Genesis 23, 4. Give, NIV says, sell me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Now, I don't think that Abraham's saying, I don't want to look at a grave. I think he's saying, I want to honor my wife's body. So I need a place to bury my wife. Get this. The man who was told, walk Go on, walk about everywhere you step. The land is yours. He didn't actually own any land except a burial site. You see, he was living for future generations. He was planting a foundation that future generations would realize. And, you know, some people say, well, maybe he owned places where he built altars. I'm not sure. But what we know for sure is that probably all that he owned was the burial site that he had to purchase or his wife. He owned the land. He was supposed to have it all, but it wasn't realized yet. And you need to understand this because this is what the Bible teaches. You and I have the promises. Death has been defeated. We just haven't realized it yet. Evil has been defeated. It just hasn't been fully realized yet. Principalities and powers have been vanquished at the cross. We just haven't fully realized it yet. But one day we will realize it and we will stand with the great patriarchs and we will celebrate what Christ did at the cross. It's coming. You can take it to the bank. Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Essence of his comments, if there was not of heaven, I would have told you. But I go and prepare a place for you. Heaven is real because Jesus said it is real. And it's impossible for God to what? To lie. It's real. I, I love the old movie, Field of Dreams. How many of you like that movie? All right. How many, you guys need to watch some of these good movies. I, I mentioned Lord of the Rings, and some people are going, no, no. You, you got to repent. And <laughs> These are good movies. Anyway, not good theology in Field of Dreams. Well, we all acknowledge that. People coming out of the cornfield is certainly not uh, biblical. But anyway... But there's a great scene where the ball player, the, the star in the movie, says, this is, is this heaven? And the response by Kevin Costner is, no, it's Iowa. <laughs> and then Kevin Costner says, is there a heaven? And the response is, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, heaven is the place where we realize those dreams and those hopes 
But now Abraham has to live in the light of that promise. And that's what he's doing, and that's what we do. And so he had to rise before his dead wife, and he spoke to the people of the land. He said, I'm a stranger, I'm a sojourner. I need a burial site. You know, when we deal with death, um, few people are prepared to deal with the implications of somebody dying. And uh, this is a part of ministry that just happens. So we have to walk people through what to do, and people are numb, and they don't know what to do. And they have to, there's expenses, there's costs, there's decisions to be made, and Abraham's now that guy. Uh, Some scholars believe from the language in the early verses that he may not have been there when she died. She may have died suddenly. It may not have been a long illness where she was on a deathbed. He may have been gone, come back to her being dead. And now he had to deal with that reality, and many of you have walked through that, and it's not easy, and it's good to have people by your side. And so the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Verse 6, hear us, my Lord. You are a mighty prince among us, literally a prince of God. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth or the Hittites. Now Abraham's bowing initiated a custom where there was a negotiation about to occur. Abraham bowed to no one in the Bible except the Lord and the angels in an earlier chapter. There's no record of him bowing anywhere, but he bows here in the land of Canaan as a sense of negotiation. And this this was kind of a way of saying, we're about to negotiate. And so he bowed, and they started to discuss the price of a site or that he would have a burial site. Um, Anywhere Abraham lived... Uh, that we know of, and he had a well in different places and stuff. It would appear that he leased or rented land, but he did not want to rent a burial site. And so he began to negotiate, and he bowed down to the people, the sons of Heth, and he spoke with them, saying, if you wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me. He had a site in mind, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of his field for the, notice, full price. Let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. So Abraham was asking for the site, but he wasn't asking for it for free. In fact, he didn't even want to haggle about it. He just asked for the location. Proverbs 20, verse 14 says, it's no good, it's no good, says the buyer. Then he goes off and boasts about his purchase, close quote. (laughs) How many of you are good hagglers? Haggling can be pretty fun. You go to a a car dealership. Isn't it a bummer when this happens? You go, you just want to buy a car, right? You say, all right, I'll buy the car for this amount of money. I know I've done my homework. And then what's the famous line from the salesperson? Okay, hold on. I got, brother, I I got to talk to my manager about this one. And off he goes into some secret location. You have no idea where he is. I think he's just somewhere drinking coffee doing a crossword puzzle. (laughs) And then he comes back to you, and you got to write stuff down on paper, and it's just this game, right? Well, in the ancient world, and especially in the Middle Eastern culture, they love to haggle. Uh, I was in Jerusalem with a buddy of mine, the same buddy that was in my office, talking about my photograph. And we were in a taxi cab going through the streets of Jerusalem, and my buddy, he can talk very well. And so he was talking to the taxi driver, and everywhere you go in Jerusalem, people want to bring you in to their shops to sell you their little trinkets. 
And a lot of them have tea shops and places where you can buy these trinkets. And so we're, we're the two in the backseat of the taxi. And, we're, and this guy's racing around the streets of Jerusalem. And it's a little crazy. And they're having a conversation. And the guy driving the taxi kept looking back. Oh, you would love the thing. Of my, and my, oh, the shop is beautiful. And, and they kept talking back and forth. And this guy is not watching the road. Pastor Michael's prayer life improved in Jerusalem. And I said, shut up. Do not speak to him anymore. <laughs> oh, it's a wonderful shot. This guy is, I thought I was going to die in a taxi in Jerusalem. Anyway, <laughs> it's no good. <laughs> now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, verse 10. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham, in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even all who went in at the gate of his city. So they did a lot of these negotiations at the gate, and he's sitting there. It's a somewhat uh, formal setting for transacting business and verifying and even ratifying business. And he says, verse 11, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field. I, notice the, the I give you. I give you the cave that is in it in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land. Ephron had no intention of giving the land away. This is, this is called negotiation here. Oh, sure, you can have it. <laughs> but look, he's going to charge him full price. And I was reading one commentary, and he said he charged him an exorbitant price for this field. This is just talk. Have you ever been in a conversation like this before? You know, there's, there's pleasant, pleasantries being exchanged, but it's not real. The words are hollow. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you a great price on this. But the intentions are not really that way. So with the bow, I think there's an expectation that there's going to be a counteroffer. So he bowed before the land of the people. And, you know, many people can extort you with a smile. You have to be careful with people. Good salesmen are, are very good. They are called silver-tongued for a reason. They can sell you anything. But Abraham is a good example of a man doing business with honor nonetheless. And he, he's going with the, you know, the way they do it. And he spoke to Ephron 13 in the hearing of the people of the land saying, if you will only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field, accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham saying to him, my Lord, listen to me. <laughs> How many of you have been in conversations like this? Would you listen to me? You listen to me. Can you listen to me? Yeah, if you'd listen to me, I'd listen to you. All right, which one's going to listen first? Let every one of us be slow to speak. We should be quick to listen, slow to anger. But we are often, yeah, who, who made that noise? That's the sound, right? We should be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to what? Anger. Think about those words. James 1, I think it's verse 19. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's the principle, QSS. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I'm so glad you remembered that. <laughs> but wouldn't it be good if we remembered that in dialogue with people? Quick to, wait, how does it go again? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Hmm. Well, we're all going to be working on that one for the rest of our lives. Because usually what we're quick to do is not to hear people. 
We want to say what we want to say. We all got to work on being good listeners. Because if you don't hear what somebody's saying, if you're already forming your response in your head, okay, as soon as they'll be quiet, here's what I'm, I'm going to come in right here, right here. <laughs> that one. You have no idea what they said. But your response was good. <laughs> Listen to me, 15. This reminds me of an Italian conversation. You listen, you listen to me, right? At the, at the uh, table growing up, you had to learn in an Italian meal setting just to speak louder than the other people, or you never heard, right? So if someone says, pass the sauce, pass the pasta, you're going to pass the sauce. <laughs> it's the only way you're going to be heard. Anyway, a piece of land worth 400 shekels, 15, of silver, what is that between me and you? <laughs> do you love this? Hey, you and me, Abraham, you and me together, we can, we can negotiate. Hey, what is the, hey, it's no problem. 400 shekels. Go ahead, bury your dead. Abraham listened, 16, to Ephron. Abraham weighed out the, for Ephron the silver, uh, which was done in weight. Coins were not invented till a couple centuries later which he named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. This is about six and one quarter pounds. And he weighed it out. So Ephron's field, which it was in Machpelah, 17, which faced Mamre, the field and cave which was in it, all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of its border were, notice, deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before, he, before all who went in at the gate of the city. The way this goes is that Abraham originally asked just for the cave, but he got the field thrown in. Through the negotiation, he didn't want the field, but the guy sold him the field anyway, and I'm sure that some of you caught that. So he ends up with not just the, the cave, but the field. And in ancient times, this is what they did. They would bury their dead in the cave. We get a lot of questions about people who are asking about, um, you know, how do, I, how do I deal with cremation and, you know, the, the cost of, of burying people and all of this stuff. And I try to respond to people by just saying, look, I would, this is a matter of conscience. It's not a matter of salvation. Uh, if someone is cremated, God has no problem raising them back. Bodies decompose. People get eaten by sharks. They die in wars. It's not a problem for God. But in the Bible, the, when the dead are dealt with in these contexts, burial seems to, to be the normal mode of dealing with the body. There's an honoring of the body. There's a careful treatment, especially of the bones. And that, this anticipates in, in both Jewish uh, mindsets and, of course, in the New Testament of anticipating resurrection. I'm not going to answer the question for you, but I'm just going to say I think it's worthy of a study of the Bible just to make sure that your conscience has dealt with the question. And so Abraham, he has now the field in the cave. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, 19, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. This promised land, of course, would... They would realize some of it in the time of Joshua. Then they would give it away. They would lose it under uh, Assyria in the north, Babylon in the south. And eventually Rome would destroy Jerusalem. 
And unfortunately, the Israelites have never fully realized the promise, and they won't do that until Christ comes again. So the field, final, final verse, and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth, and into the cave or the hewn-out rock went Sarah. Final thoughts. Will she come out again? Well, here's the thing. Do you know that 2,000 years later, another man was put into a cave setting? In fact, when you think about it, Jesus was born in a cave and then placed in a cave when he died. If you, if you get the chance to go to the garden tomb, and we don't know for sure if it's the actual site of the tomb of Jesus, though there are scholars that do argue for it, or uh, archaeologists and historians that argue for it. It's really interesting because the tomb is actually hewn out of the rock. There's, there's a rocky area, it's a little hillside, and you get to walk into what's called the garden tomb. And it's this, this area, and, and if it truly is the tomb of Jesus, and we don't know if it is or isn't, but it's, it, it, it's an interesting moment when you get to go in there. And you get to just think about what happened in that place. Because he didn't stay there. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. And he spoke of the temple of his body and a great light shone and the angel came down and sat upon the rock and Jesus was alive. And he said, because I live, you will live also. In fact, when the curtain was torn from top to bottom, when Jesus breathed his last, there are people who came out of the tombs and appeared to many. It's an intriguing verse in Matthew 27. It's an anticipation of resurrection. And when the Lord comes, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together in the clouds to meet them in the air. And we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, what's the Bible say? Comfort one another with these words. The rolling of the stone against the tomb is not the end of the story. And when Abraham walked away that day, he knew that she would rise. This is the beautiful promise that we have in Jesus Christ. I leave you with Philippians 3, 20 and 21. It says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to these words. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Father, thank you that Jesus came to deal with the fact that we die. Thank you that you entered into our pain Thank you that you were born really to die for the sins of the world. In all likelihood, you got 33 years on this planet. But you came to bear witness to the truth and you came to offer yourself to save us from death being the end of the story. Because you live, we will live. Because you rose, we are going to rise. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know at the end he will take his stand. And in my, even though my skin is destroyed, in my flesh, Job says, I will see God. I know, I don't have to guess, I know my Redeemer lives. I know he's alive. And you ever live to make intercession for your people, Lord. 
You're not only alive, you're on our side. You're for us, not against us. You're interceding for your people. You blazed the trail in your blood. You defeated death by your triumphant resurrection and you're coming again for your bride. What can we say to such things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Sarah, Abraham, they saw the promises from a distance. They died, but they died in faith. Lord, help us to live by faith. Help us to walk by faith. Help us to make the most of our time. Help us not to just stay stuck because we've made some mistakes or had some missteps. Let us move forward as Abraham and Sarah did in faith. Let us be true to our commitments and our covenants. Let us be people of joy and peace, people who honor the ancient paths. Lord, help us in this crazy age in which we live in in many disappointments and trials that we face. Let us be found faithful because you are faithful. And when we can't, when we, we feel like we can't even take another step, when we feel like we don't even have the strength to go on one more day, let faith lead the way. You're the author and perfecter of faith. Bless your people. Strengthen their faith even now. I pray that you'd pour fresh faith into us, Lord. Renew our faith, strengthen our faith. Use us to lead other people to that promised land in Christ. We just want to say we love you, and I just want to say now with your head and heart bowed, if you don't know Jesus, if you need to recommit your life, if, you ha- if you're not sure you're a Christian, if you don't know, God forbid, if you died tonight, you'd be in heaven. Make sure. Repent of your sin. Receive this one who came to the world to die on the cross for you and rise for you to defeat your mortal enemy, death. Trust him. Trust him. Believe on him. You can express that through a prayer right now, and it's something like this. And if you need to settle it right now, do it. Jesus, save me. Pray it out loud. Don't be ashamed of the one who wasn't ashamed of you. Jesus, save me. I repent of my sin. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead. I want to follow you. Change me from the inside out, Lord. In Jesus' name. Lord, may you meet every need in this room tonight. May you extend your hand of healing and your hand of transformation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand?